welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at pub quiz, We're, asterisk, or however you are playing quiz now. Oh, sorry. Um, we are your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi. Hi. Um, uh, so uh, like we mentioned last week, you don't remember what I said my topic no. was going to be. Great. Great. So we're you're coming at it fresh, fresh-eyed, fresh-minded. Is that a word? No preconceived notions. No preconceived notions. And I'm going to tell you what my inspiration for Ooh. this week was. Great. So we've been kind of out of practice because mm-hmm. last time we recorded was, I mean, did, before yeah, last we did week. did a whole bunch in the springtime. Like, yeah, April or May or we whatever. We were doing like one a week. Yeah, we were really just hauling Cranking ass. them out. Yeah, which is why some episodes, Steve mentioned, he was like, you guys sounded tired. I was like, yeah, I think we did four that day, which really sucked. <laughs> so um, we're back in the swing of things. And I can I tell you, it has been hard to get back into the swing of things. It's tough to write an art, uh, a whole topic and then 10 questions. What? Whose idea <laughs> Who was am this? I? Yeah. Who am I? So... Um, uh, one thing you should know about me, LT, is that before I go to bed at night, I watch YouTube videos of people putting on makeup because I find it soothing and it also gives me inspiration for what to do with my makeup the next morning. Which she does an excellent job, by the way, oh, if you haven't you. Um, seen her eyeballs in person. Yeah, I decorate my eyeballs real nice. So <laughs> so I just got hooked on um, a new YouTuber. Her name is Bailey Sarian. I highly recommend her. She's adorable and funny. She's got a beautiful face for makeup. And basically what she does is it's called Murder, Mystery, and Makeup Mondays. And she tells a murder story or a mystery story um, while she puts on her makeup. And the only reason why she's putting on makeup is because uh, is because she's a makeup artist, first and uh-huh. foremost. But also she's like, I want to tell the story, but it makes me uncomfortable to just sit here and stare into the camera and talk. So I need something to do while I'm talking. Okay. So um, this past Monday, uh, when we're recording, her episode was on Elizabeth Bathory, who was apparently a duchess in Italy who was purported to have bathed in the blood of like virgins virgins yes exactly um and it was very good and she did this really beautiful purple eye makeup thanks to melt cosmetics the she's in parties palette which is really beautiful and i highly covet but that's neither here nor there um she uh mentioned this person and i was like huh i don't know a lot about her so my episode today is called fatale donna lucrezia borgia so there's going to be a lot of Italian in this episode. So I'm going to be pinching my fingers. Oy, so get yourself some meatballs. Oh, yeah, get some meatballs. Get a, a nice glass of... Uh, Chianti. Yeah, or a multiple Chiano. And uh, we're going to get into it. Sangiovese. Yeah, yeah. So uh, first off, we're going to do about some citations because I got a lot of help from the Long Reads Queens of Infamy series by Anne Terrio. So Anne Terrio is a writer. She's extremely funny. Definitely follow her on Twitter. But um, she's been doing a Queens of Infamy series. Um, and it's a wealth of information. It's a great Long Reads series, longreads.com. So definitely check it out. Uh, the Queens of Infamy series also includes other badass women, such as Josephine Bonaparte, Njinga, the Queen of Ndongo, and Matamba, and Catherine de' Medici, among others. Oh. Um, and they're beautifully illustrated by um, indie artists as well. So this is going to be about Lucrezia, but it's also going to be about the Borgias as a whole in general, because you can't really talk about Lucrezia without talking about the Borgias. So... Something you should know about the Borgias and Rodrigo specifically, the um, the 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 father of the Borgia the patriarch. family, patriarch, the patriarch. Thank you. So the Borgias or Borgia in the dynasty's hometown of Valencia. I will not be pronouncing it like that from here on out. I promise. Um, so they're Spanish. Uh, they show they show up in Rome in the early 15th century with Cardinal Alfonso de Borgia's promotion to Pope Calixtus the Third in 1455. Calixtus, Calixtus, yes. I don't see that name running around. In I the, know in the playground these no. days. <laughs> no, although who knows? Honestly, it's one of those things. It's just a matter of time. Um, his election didn't especially mean that he was popular. They didn't love him, but um, the elites of the Italian city-states were notoriously hateful towards outsiders in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and they specifically hated the fact that 
uh, Borgia came from a former Moorish kingdom with a large Jewish population. Okay. So that's two strikes against them that they may be Moors and they might be Jewish. Oh no, watch out. So they were outsiders to begin with. Where they were like, nah, man, we're moops. Yeah, <laughs> we're moops. Call me the moops. Yeah, they're they're moops, not Moors. Um, ultimately, Calixtus or Alfonso de Borgia uh, was chosen because he was a compromise candidate. Mm-hmm. So there was a con- it was a conclave divided by two powerful Roman families at the time, and since he was an elderly foreigner, they figured he would they could one manipulate him, and two he was old, so he would die soon. Yeah. Um, so even though he was generally just like a perfectly fine pope, he even managed to remain chaste, which was actually mm, like rare, an, un, a rare thing at that point <laughs> for popes. Um, he uh, and his family were always viewed with suspicion and the Borgia family would eventually go on to produce several popes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the contemporaries would constantly deploy xenophobic and anti-Semitic slurs against them. So the Borgias got a foot in the door with Calixtus um, and then they were like well hated from then on out. Yeah. So um, this obviously contributed to like the clannishness that the Borgias were n- notorious for. Um, so after Calixtus's death in 1458, the Italians were like positive. They were like, no more foreign popes. We're going to stick with the Italians. That lasted 50 years. And then in 1492, the College of Cardinals elected Rodrigo de Borgia to the church's highest office. So on August 26th of that year, he rode to Rome to claim the throne of St. Peter as Alexander VI. Mm-hmm. So from here on out, I'm going to be calling Rodrigo Alexander, just to make things easier, because he's the pope. So... First thing you should know about Alexander slash Rodrigo is that women found him irresistible. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hot Pope. Hot Pope. Mm, new Pope. Hot Pope. Uh, quote, he moves them in a wondrous way, more powerfully than the magnet influences iron, wrote a former tutor. Um, and he <laughs> That's w- how I talk about <laughs> yeah, Channing like my, Tatum. Ooh, yes. Ooh, magnet influences iron. Mm, uh-huh. What a knack. You know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about. So... <clears throat> The vow of celibacy didn't mean anything mm-hmm. to this guy. So he fathered between eight and 10 illegitimate children through the course of his popedom, his lifetime, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, his favorites were Giovanni, Cesare, and Lucrezia. So Cesare, Caesar. Um, those children were specifically with his mistress, Vanozza Catanei. And she also had a fourth child who was known as Geoffrey, uh, whom Alexander acknowledged as his own, although he had his doubts. And he never really gave him the same amount of affection as his favorite okay. three. Um, and in fact, he accused Venoza of cheating on him with her second husband, which is like, um. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So Lucrezia. So Lucrezia Borgia was born on April 18th, 1480 at Subaco near Rome. And during her early life, Lucrezia uh, her education was entrusted to Adriana Orsini de Milan, who was a close confidant of her father. Um, she didn't seem to especially close with her mother. And in fact, none of the kids were. She mm-hmm. just kind of like popped them out and then handed them over to Alexander and was like, whatever. Um, but Alexander doted on those kids. Mm-hmm. He just loved them. And he was the Pope, the most powerful man in Christendom. So they were afforded quite a lot of luxuries. Sure. Um, her education specifically would primarily take place in the Piazza Pizzo de Merlo, a uh, building adjacent to her father's residence. And unlike most educated women of her time for whom convents were the primary source for knowledge, her education came from within the sphere of intellectuals in the court and close relatives. And it included a solid grounding in the humanities, which the Catholic Church at the time was reviving. Mm -hmm. Um, She was a thoroughly accomplished princess. She was fluent in Spanish, Catalan, Italian, and French, um, which obviously prepared her for advantageous marriages to any European monarch. And she was literate in both Latin and Greek. Uh, She would also become proficient in the lute, poetry, and oration. But the biggest testament to her intelligence is her capability in administration, as later in life she would take care of Vatican City correspondence and the governance of Ferrara, which we'll talk about in a Hmm. bit. So, Pope Alex, he took care of his fave kids. He made Giovanni the Duke of Ganja, and he promoted Cesare to the position of Bishop of Pamplona at the age of 15. The Duke of Ganja? Gandia. (laughs) The Duke of Ganja. But he was the eldest, so you know he was the Duke of Ganja. You know what I'm talking about. 
Um, so Cesare was supposed to be like, like Giovanni was going to be like the, the successful one. Yeah. He was going to make like super huge political strides. Cesare was going to be like, I'm going to be in the church. I'm going to continue my dad's, you know, mm-hmm. legacy that way. And he even managed to snag a prestigious marriage for Joffre, um, a young noble woman named Sancha. So if anybody watches Game of Thrones and, and uh, you yeah. have Joffrey and yeah, Sancha. Joffrey and Sancha. Mm. So, you know, that George. didn't come out. Yeah, that didn't come out of nowhere. So uh, Anne Terrio definitely brought that up in the article. She was like, <laughs> mm, we see you, George. <laughs> so here's the cool thing. Despite the fact that during the Renaissance, women were meant for marriage only and wealthy women specifically were meant to be married off for political gain. Alexander recognized that Lucrezia was smart and capable and had a natural talent for leadership. Sure. Um, however, don't get me wrong. Uh, he still used her to create political ties with influential man uh, families. Mm-hmm. So to wit, after a couple of false starts with two engagements that fell through, Alexander managed to snag an engagement to Lucrezia that stuck. So the third time was the charm and her engagement to Giovanni Sforza, who was the illegitimate son of a count managed to stick. Uh, They were married on June 12th, 1493, Lucrezia having just celebrated her 13th birthday. (gasps) Giovanni was 28. Ugh. Gross. So the Svorzas were powerful allies of Alexander, and they'd helped him secure the papal throne, and so he wanted to reward them. Um, However, this was not meant to last, as Mm -hmm. you can imagine. Okay. So essentially what Anterio gets into much better detail and much more hilariously than I, Ferdinand I, the king of Naples, died. Okay. And Pope Alex secured his son's claim to the throne. So he was like, okay, I'm the Pope. The son of Ferdy is going to get to be the mm-hmm. king of Naples. As opposed to King Charles VIII of France, who also wanted it but had like more suspicious mm. ties to it. However, this took ticked off Lucrezia's husband, Giovanni, whose family, the Sforzas, were the traditional enemies of the royal family of Naples. <laughs> so this obviously created some tension, and it was the beginning of the end of the Sforza-Borgia uh, relation. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in 1496, Lucrezia returned to Rome. Uh, Geoffrey and Sancha made it back in May, and Giovanni joined the clan in August. Um, 18-year-old Sancha allegedly began having an affair with either one or both of her husband's brothers, probably, Mm -hmm. because her 14-year-old husband had not reached puberty yet. Okay. Also, Sancha became close friends with Lucrezia, and the two of them um, scandalized Rome by, like, gossiping in church and, like, playing pranks on people and, like, all this stuff. So they Mm -hmm. were, like, a menace. Um, So the Pope decided he was going to have Giovanni killed, Lucrezia's husband. All right. He was like, I'm sick of this guy. He's not making my life any easier. Um, but Lucrezia heard about this from her brother Cesare, and she told her husband, and he fled Rome. He like, I'm getting out of here. Okay. So then Alexander was like, all right, well, I guess I can't kill him. So I'm going to negotiate my way out of this marriage, which he was very good at. However, trying to convince Giovanni to agree to an annulment was difficult because he refused. So Alexander basically said the marriage was invalid thanks to non-consummation because Giovanni's peepus didn't work. He was like, mm-hmm. he's impotent, so obviously it didn't work. Clearly. Um, so Giovanni was very mad because he was like, uh-huh. I have a great penis. It's the best penis people tell me all the time. Um, he accused Alexander of having sex with his daughter. Mm-hmm. Which is the typical Italian, like, that's the way to... Just turn it to 11. Yeah, just crank it to 11. Oh, yeah? Well, you're probably boinking your dad. Done. And that's, like, supposed to be the mic drop moment in Rome where people are like, really? So then Alexander was like, ugh, get rid of this guy. So they offered her dowry in return for his cooperation. Mm -hmm. They were like, we'll leave you the money. Just sign this paper. It'll be fine. So he officially signed confessions of impotence and documents of annulment before witnesses. So he basically had to like sign in front of a bunch of people like, I can't get it on Giovanni. (laughs) (laughs) And then have a bunch of people say, yep, that's damn true. So um, there has been speculation during that the prolonged process of the annulment, Lucrezia consummated a relationship with someone, perhaps Alexander's Chamberlain, Pedro Calderon also named Perotto. 
uh, which is his Italian nickname, as you can imagine. So in any case, families hostile to the Borgias would later accuse her of being pregnant at the time of her marriage was annulled for non-consummation. Mm-hmm. So they're like, uh, how can this peepus not work if she's pregnant? Mm, tell me that. Put two and two together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So she is known to have retired to the convent of San Sisto in June 1497 to await the outcome of the annulment proceedings. She just wanted to get away she from just, everybody. You know she's a very devout girl. I bet they had some great murals on the wall. Oh, she just yeah. wanted to study. Just just be real shh, 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 quiet. Just be real quiet with the nuns. Um, so the annulment proceedings were finalized in December of that year. And less than two weeks after uh, Lucrezia had ensconced herself in the walls of San Sisto, tragedy struck. Giovanni, her older brother, mm-hmm. Giovanni Borgia, disappeared after leaving a family dinner at his mother's house. And his body turned up in the Tiber covered in stab wounds. Which is terrible. Yikes. So Pope Alex was distraught at the mm-hmm. loss of his favorite son, and he spent days shut in his room, weeping and refusing all food and drink. Rumors about the murderer's identities flew around Rome. Was it a retaliatory move from Giovanni Sforza and his publicly maligned penis? A quote from Antario. Yeah. Was it the Orsini family? Was it some whispered Cesare over the fact that he and Giovanni were competing for Sancho's attention? No one really knew, but after just a week... They just stopped trying to figure it out. Okay. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh, well, he's gone. But then the bodies of Pedro Calderon and a maid who was Pantasilea was also found in the Tiber in February 1498. They were stabbed to death, thrown in the Tiber. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. Wonder how that happened. And then in March 1498, the Ferrares, a uh, ambassador, complained that Lucrezia had given birth, but this was denied by other sources. Okay. Regardless, there was a baby, a mystery baby that was in the Borgia household. He was named Giovanni, but is known to historians as the Infans Romanus. So he was referred to as just the infant of Rome for a very long time, which is kind of creepy. Um, Either way, in 1501, when he was three, two papal bulls were issued concerning the child. Okay. In the first... Wow. How... Wow. I know. Well, Alexander didn't have a lot going on. Okay. He was like, I'm very obsessed with my family, even though there's a lot of like infighting within uh-huh. the Italian city states. I'm right. Two papal bulls about a three-year-old. Basically. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing about Italy you should know about this time. So the reason why there's so much infighting and that people are like, so Italy was not a unified country at this mm-hmm. point. It actually, Italy wouldn't be unified until like the 19th century, I think, if not a little bit later. Um, so there are Italian city states. Mm-hmm. So there were papal states that the Pope was in charge of, yeah. but not all of them. So not all of Italy was under the Pope, okay. regardless if you were a, an Italian citizen who was like, who believed in the Pope or not. Like if you lived in a papal state, you were run by the Pope. So there's a lot of infighting with all these political families mm-hmm. to try and take over these city states. So just FYI. But anyway, the first papal bull, he was recognized as Cesare's child from an affair before his marriage. So they were like, okay. oh, it's Cesare's baby. The second contradictory papal bull <laughs> recognized him as the son of Pope Alexander VI, which seems insane because the, he released, he's supposed to be chased and married to Jesus. Yeah. And he was like, don't worry, it's my baby. JK, forget that first one. Retraction. Forget, retraction. Mine. Uh, Lucrezia is not mentioned in either one of these bulls. Okay. And rumors that she was his mother had never been proven. Hmm. So, and also the second papal bull was kept secret for many years. So Giovanni was basically assumed to be Cesare's son. Okay. So that's Giovanni. So within a month, Pope Alexander was like, let's get Lucrezia out of here. Let's get her married to somebody and let's get some stuff going on. So this one was going to be the tits. Like this was going to be his big one. So the prospective groom was Alfonso of Aragon, who was the illegitimate son of the now abdicated king of Naples. Okay. He was also the brother to Lucrezia's old pal Sancha. Mm, okay. So Lucrezia wasn't the only papal child with new prospects. With the once promising Giovanni dead, Alexander decided to pull Cesare, who he'd made a cardinal, out of the church and sent him on a more secular path to power. Hmm. He was like, all right, you're going to take over for Giovanni. You're going to be my, my political guy. guy out there. Yep. So Lucrezia and Alfonso were married in the summer of 1498 in a sumptuous nuptial. So mass. she's like 19 years old. At this she's point, yeah. Right? She's nothing. She's, she's still a kid. 
Um, Cesare ends up marrying Charlotte Del Bray, who is sister of the King of Navarra, mm-hmm. um, who happened to be the political enemy of Alfonso and Sancha. So what? many enemies. Oh my gosh, so many enemies. So Alfonso was like, well, geez, if you're going to marry my enemy, then I got to get out of here. So he fled Rome. Mm. And he left behind Lucrezia, who was six months into her second pregnancy of the year after suffering a miscarriage in February. This is a, she miscarries all the time. This poor girl could not keep a baby. It was very awful. So he wrote to Lucrezia asking her to join him in Naples. Mm -hmm. But Alexander was like, you're not going anywhere. So he appointed her governor of Spoleto, a position usually held by a cardinal. So he was like, you can't be with your husband, but I'm going to make you super powerful. Wow. Um, so she ended up being a competent leader and administrator, um, which is something that she ended up being really good at and actually really enjoying hmm. later in life. So then Alfonso was murdered in 1500. <laughs> sorry. You were drinking at yeah, the time. I, I probably taking a sip. <laughs> so Sorry. So <laughs> Alfonso was murdered in 1500. He was probably murdered by Cesare or one of his goons. Mm-hmm. Cesare had recently allied himself with France against Naples. Okay. Um, and rumors of incest sprang up again, this time asserting that Cesare had killed Lucrezia's husband out of jealousy because he really wanted her. Some even speculated that Lucrezia had been in on the crime, which is also like, this is where her bad reputation comes from, okay. that she, because her husband's just ended up just like they just keep dying they're dying or they keep getting kicked out or whatever and she's and she kept going like "Ah, no and people were like you're a terrible person which historically she may not have been i mean she was a she aligned herself with her family like she wasn't completely Mm. innocent but it was probably her brothers and her father who were doing most of the dirty work okay so um, Lucrezia and Alfonso had one child who was named Rodrigo of Aragon and he was born in 1499. So this very short marriage, mm-hmm. um, produced one child. So we got to talk about the banquet of chestnuts. Do you know what the banquet of chestnuts is? I don't. It sounds like a delightful Christmas. Doesn't it? Feast. It sounds like a fun, like cozy, very Ooh, like huga. Yeah, like guys come over. Mm. You got to come over next weekend. We're having our banquet of chestnuts. <laughs> God. See, okay. So this is not safe for work. I'm going to tell you like the next couple of 30 seconds to a minute is we'll put not the, safe for work. We put the E tag on this yeah, we, episode for a good reason. So between her husband's, Lucrezia may or may not have intended an infamous party that may or may not have happened, which is called the banquet or the ballet of chestnuts. It was a party in Rome, particularly a supper party purportedly held in the papal palace by Cesare Borgia on October 30th, 1501. An account of the banquet is preserved in a Latin diary by author Johann Bouchard, but its accuracy is disputed. So these are my, my, Disclaimers. Disclaimers. So this is what he wrote. Quote, on the evening of the last day of October, 1501, Cesare Borgia arranged a banquet in his chambers in the Vatican with, quote, 50 honest prostitutes called courtesans who danced after dinner while the attendants and others were present at first in their garments, then naked. After dinner, the candelabra with the burning candles was taken from the tables and placed on the floor, and chestnuts were strewn around, which the naked courtesans picked up, creeping on hands and knees between the chandeliers, while the Pope, Cesare, and his sister Lucrezia looked on. Finally, prizes were announced for those who could perform the act most often with the courtesans, such as tunics of silk, shoes, barrettes, and other things. So basically... What a banquet. Yeah, what a nice banquet. So people got prizes for for getting off the most with a bunch of courtesans, which is gross. Um, with your Pope dad. With your Pope dad and your little brother. Cool, cool, cool. Totally normal. The Italians are gross. Um, historian Alexander Lee noted that, quote, the so-called banquet of the chestnuts is, for example, attested only in Burchard's memoirs and is not only intrinsically implausible, but was also dismissed as such by many contemporaries. So odds are this description was probably... Maybe a little embellished? Maybe a little embellished. Probably meant to, again, discredit the Borgias, mm. like they're foreigners who are so like... Ugh, they're so depraved and depraved and like so against mm-hmm. God. Like, why would you ever support them like that kind of thing? So 
But I had to mention the banquet of the chestnuts because mm-hmm. that is the thing most associated with the Borgias. Mm-hmm. Um, it was apparently there was a depiction of it in the Borgias TV show. Like HBO would not. Lauren's rolling her eyes. I'm like, rolling my eyes. Like, of course, like, you know, a paid cable channel would be like, <laughs> I'm going to put as much gross stuff in this. I have my own opinions about it. like <laughs> a rape, etc. in paid TV. Anyway. So after the death of Alfonso, Lucrezia's father arranged a third marriage. He was like, okay. we got to get you out there, girl. Yeah. It's time. Your clock's a ticking. Yeah. Clock's a ticking. So then she married Alfonso d'Este. So her next husband. Second husband named Alfonso. Yeah. Her second husband named Alfonso. But, you know, whatever. She didn't have to, like, She learn. didn't have to remember. She yeah. didn't have to learn a new name. Yeah. So Alfonso was the Duke of Ferrara. Um, so he is, he's a weird guy. So she's 20 at this point. Okay. So uh, Alfonso's main passions in life were artillery, pottery, and brothels. Um, his first wife, who was also a Sforza, because everyone just intermarried everybody else, uh, had died in childbirth. Um, not that he cared that much, because uh, their relationship was basically based around, like, just, uh, they didn't particularly like each other, mm. which allowed him to look the other way when she began dressing as a man and sleeping with women. So, oh, you know, she had her own thing going. Um, and according to at least one source, Alfonso liked to march naked through the streets of Ferrara, a sword in one hand and his penis clutched in the other. I, I mean, who doesn't? Typical Thursday. You know what I'm talking about? So it seemed, though, that they were a good match. I mean, there's more on this later, but okay. like, it's very weird. So either way, Lucrezia packed up and she headed to Ferrara and she was forced to leave her two-year-old son, Rodrigo, behind. Okay. Um, however, she stayed as involved in his care as possible. She sent him letters and gifts and she arranged his education to make sure that he was brought up properly. Unfortunately, he died at the age of 12 from a fever, which is really, really sad. And she never saw him again. She never got to see him again. So on her way to Ferrara, uh, Alfonso surprised her about halfway through the trip as this was her first meeting, their first meeting. They were married by proxy. Um, as you do. Uh, but they seemed to like each other well enough. Um, the rest of the Destes really loved her, aside from Alfonso's sister, Isabella, who was unhappy in her own marriage to Francesco Gonzaga and was distrustful of Lucrezia, partially because she, her whole like steez was, you know, she wasn't happy in her marriage. And so her hobby was just like meddling in other people's business, basically. Mm-hmm. And so she sent a spy to like travel along with Lucrezia and the worst thing that she could possibly say about her was that they kept stopping so that she could wash her hair. She was like, ugh. She kept washing her beautiful golden hair. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't she, wasn't she famous for like having beautiful blonde hair? Yeah, she had like perfectly beautiful, rich, thick, you know, Italian hair that went like down past her butt and she took like really good care of her hair because it was like her mm-hmm. beauty. Um, she was also, she had a great, beautiful face. She was naturally beautiful. She had beautiful manners you know she was a perfect mm-hmm. renaissance woman because she was raised to be that way but yeah her golden hair was like like her thing um so isabella hated her um duke ercole who was the father who was alfonso and isabella's dad he was a little weird himself it kind of ran in the family uh he collected famous nuns as you do uh which was a bit of a tourist attraction at the time and he placed them in local convents what so he would collect famous nuns, like, you know, being a, a primarily Catholic country. He would uh, be like, this is Sister Mary Teresa. Yeah. She's best known for arranging flowers. Let's she... put her in my convent and people can come see her. So, oh, okay. Oh, okay. So, so to him, nuns were like Pokemon. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Nuns were Pokemon okay. for Duke Ercole d'Este. So, like, if he was, if if Mother Teresa, yes, was alive at the time, yeah, she would have been his Mew. Absolutely, his Mew. I don't know what that means, but I'm gonna agree wholeheartedly. I'm assuming that's something you really want. Yeah. Okay. Great. Original 151. Of oh, course. original 151. Yeah. We've already had, and I gotta shout out someone who were. I I'm sorry, I forgot your name, but. He, 
we're going to do a Pokemon episode. We got to do a Pokemon episode. The the listeners are crying out for one. Yeah. So I'm going to leave that I can, to yeah, you. Yeah, I can do Pokemon. Yeah, because I don't know. Original 151 only. Yeah, we're not, do, we're not doing extension <laughs> packs. Sorry, everybody. Because I know next to nothing about Pokemon. It was not something I did when I've I was probably ri- young. <laughs> like sidebar. I've probably had like four. But I've probably done like five or six questions during the course of this Easily. podcast that are on Pokemon. I'm sure I got all of them wrong. No, I think you, I think you were able to <laughs> snag it out of somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, famous nuns equals Pokemon for, for this guy. Renaissance Italians. So Alfonso Deste's brothers Ferrante and Ippolito were also charmed by their new sister-in-law. Ah, Hippolito. Oh, love. what another great name! Oh, it's a great name. So, meanwhile, Cesare was becoming more and more powerful. He was really getting into the groove. He ran rampant through the Italian states. He was gaining territories for himself and France. So much so that Machiavelli, who just happened to be around at the time, was so impressed that he that Cesare would serve as a major inspiration for the prince, <laughs> which is obviously, as you know, a classic on the art of political scheming. So that's another nice trivia thing. Interesting. Yeah. Cesare Borgia was the inspiration, one of the inspirations for the prince. Mm -hmm. So as Cesare's power is increasing, Lucrezia embarked on an affair with a poet named Pietro Bembo, who would later multitask to become a linguist and a cardinal. Um, And Alfonso d'Este was still regularly visiting brothels, so he wasn't exactly being a paragon of fidelity. So as much as Lucrezia was fond of her husband, his like earthy ways weren't really like her thing. Okay. And she missed like the intellectual mm-hmm. circuits that she used to, you know, partake in. Um, so one thing that um, Ontario mentioned is that uh, the letters between Lucrezia and Bembo would one day drive Lord Byron into such a horny frenzy that he stole a lock of her hair from the archives in Milan, which is a true story. Um, and he wrote about it. He was like, oh my God, these letters were so good. I just like totally fell in love with her through time. And I stole a lock of her hair from an archive, which is so Lord Byron. <sighs> He's so gross. Like we should do an episode on him and just like tut tut over this. it all. Ugh. It should be a Valentine's Day episode. Oh my God. That's such a good idea. Okay. We're doing, <laughs> we're doing Lord Byron for a Valentine's Day. It'll be a great anti-Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> so then. Here we go. All right. Summer of 1503, Pope Alex, he comes down with a fever and dies. That's all it took back then. Oh, yeah. Boom. Done. Chesede got the same thing. He was like super sick too, but he didn't die. Okay. The funeral, unfortunately, was a complete fiasco. Um, the August heat bloated and putrefied his body mm. to the point where it couldn't even fit in the coffin. Oh, God. Yeah. So attendants had to roll it up in a carpet and shove it into the box. <laughs> Which is so gross if you think about it. Did HBO put that in the Borgias? Probably, <laughs> right? Ew, and his head was probably skull was probably caved in or something gross like that. Anyway, so Josh Chase- is gonna Josh is fact checking me. Yeah, fact check. I'm gonna that, say, yeah. did Showtime put it in the Borgias? I think I'm gonna. I think I have to re. I have to redo my statement. <laughs> is it Showtime? Mm. Showtime HBO. Who gives a shit? I never paid for it. So, <laughs> so whatever. So yeah, he get they finally get him in. They have a funeral, whatever. Cesare sees the writing on the wall. Like his dad was like, the only thing was the thing that was keeping yeah. him, you know, getting to do what he's doing. So he sends his troops in to control the conclave really quick, and he forces the election of someone who'd support him as his father did. So he was like, let's get a new pope in who's going to support me and let me keep doing what I'm doing. Unfortunately for him, and the eventually named Pope Pius the Third he would have one of the shortest pontificates in history, which was only 26 days, Oof. which is, that's a rough go. It's less than William Henry Harrison. Yeah, exactly. So in the middle of this whole like roller coaster, Lucrezia began having another affair, this time with her brother-in-law, Francesco Gonzaga. Who is married to? Isabella's husband. Because okay. she doesn't care about her life at all, it seems. No. It's out of control. So then Duke Ercole dies on January 25th, 1505, and that makes Alfonso the new Duke of Ferrara. Okay. So he's like risen in the ranks. Lucrezia became pregnant again, Mm -hmm. um, and she must have felt like, okay, things are coming together for me. She's, She's a duchess. 
She's carrying the Duke's heir, who's, you know, fingers crossed as a boy. You know, her family's kind of, you know, falling in favor right now, but she's got like a new family now. Mm-hmm. Um, Chesede, whose situation caused her just a ton of trouble, he tried to escape from prison only to be caught and sent to a better fortified stronghold. And she began a letter writing campaign to free him. And she appealed to anyone and anyone she could possibly think of. And then the weather got warm and an outbreak of the plague hit Fadada, followed by a drought that spoiled the crops. So Mm -hmm. things are going terrible. Um, Hundreds of people died each day from disease and hunger while the ruling class fled to their country estates, as they're wont to do. Lucrezia was also ill, although they don't know if it was the plague or if because it was pregnancy related or something else, but... As this whole season continued on, she continued her borderline delusional campaign to secure her brother's fe- mm-hmm. freedom. Uh, she even grew desperate enough to ask the new pope to release Cesare, who was the guy who took over from the guy who only had 26 days. Yeah. And he was like, mm, no, no thanks. The guy who plotted against me? No, yeah. I'm all set. Thank you. So in early 1507, Lucrezia miscarried yet again. Mm. And this time, Alfonso d'Este blamed her for carousing too much during carnival season, which is like, excuse me. Damn. Yeah. Carnival season. It, that'll get you every it's my time. third favorite season. I know. Versus After pumpkin awards. spice. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Awards, pumpkin, pumpkin spice. Carnival. Carnival, carnival yeah. season. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then two months later, Cesare escapes prison again. But then he he was stabbed to death and he was stripped and he left to die alone. And thrown in the Tiber. Yeah. Thrown in the Tiber. Probably. I mean, let's be honest. So she has no more, no more relatives, no more relatives, basically. So the Italian wars that Charles the eighth had begun 15 years earlier were still ongoing. And Alfonso was absent from the end of 1509 until 1512. Cause he's out there fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucrezia remained in Ferrara and once again, used her talents in leadership and administration that she first began ex- exercising in Spoleto. So Alfonso, meanwhile, proved to be an able soldier and tactician. So Alfonso managed to get his hands on a statue of Julius that Michelangelo had made, which he promptly melted down and forged into a cannon he called La Giulia. All except for the head, which he stuck on a pike, which, you know, of course you're going to (laughs) do. So the fighting was near constant and both sides suffered heavy casualties. And in the midst of all this, Lucrezia gave birth to another son named Ippolito after his cardinal uncle. Mm -hmm. And the war dragged on until Easter Sunday, 1512, when a decisive battle took place outside Ravenna, at which an estimated 10,000 men were killed. However, it was an ex- a significant win for Alfonso d'Este, whose innovative approach to artillery carried the day, because he was all about those cannons. So, the Duke finally returned to Ferrara after, you know, all this fighting, he manages to win. And three months later, Alfonso d'Este traveled to Rome, where the Pope basically was like, fine, and gave him absolution. He was like, fine, fine. Secretly, though, the Pope was still determined to take Ferrara. However, for him, alas, he died on February 21st, 1513, before any of his plots could come to fruition. Mm. So Lucrezia and the Deste family won, and it was a victory that would shape the papacy for years to come. Because among those they took prisoner during the Battle of Ravenna was Cardinal Giovanni de' Medici. The man who would soon be Leo X, as well as great uncle to noted Queen Catherine de' Medici. Which we keep saying we're going to do an episode. I know, we should probably just do another episode. It's just going to be long. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's you can't just talk about Catherine de' Medici without talking about all the Medicis. Yeah. You can't just talk about Lucrezia Borgia without talking about all the Uh Borgias. So it's one of those things. So soon enough, he would begin orchestrating his own Borgia-like schemes, making the Medici name at least as infamous, if not more. So in spite of her various indiscretions, Lucrezia had always been a very good Catholic girl. Even after leaving Rome, she would retreat to convents during difficult periods. Every time she would have uh, something terrible happen in her family, every time she had a miscarriage or a child would die, she would run to a convent and like that would be like Chillax. her safe space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as she got older, she became even more devout. And obviously her personal losses definitely played a big part in this. Um, She had eight pregnancies with Alfonso, but only four children survived. 
1518, Alfonso d'Este was summoned by the French king to attend a meeting between the French and English crowns. And during his absence, Lucrezia, who was in the early months of yet another pregnancy, was left to govern Ferrara in her own name. And once again, she killed it. She did an amazing job. And by this time, she and her husband had developed a powerful mutual admiration. And by this point, her relationship with Francesco Gonzaga was no longer a thing and discovered that their strengths and talents complemented each other. So they kind of like grew into like a pretty Mm -hmm. decent marriage for, you know, something that was fucked up to begin with. But anyway, this final pregnancy was another just terrible one. By June, Lucrezia was barely able to eat, and soon doctors decided to induce labor to save her life, which can you even imagine what inducing labor was like in the Renaissance? Like, so awful. Barbaric. Some sort of bug involved. Oh my God, I'm sure. Like bleeding her, like stabbing her in the stomach or something. I have no idea. So they broke her water, and on June 14th, she gave birth to a daughter so weak that Alfonso d'Este rushed to have her baptized. And as was predicted, tiny Isabella Maria did not survive. Mm. And at first, uh, Lucrezia seemed to improve, but on June 20th, her health went into steep decline. She began to have seizures and blood poured from her nose. The doctors cut off her hair and bled her, but she continued to worsen, losing the ability to see they and cu- speak. Wait, they were like, she's having seizures. We'll give her a haircut. Yeah, I think it had it, it was along the same lines as like bleeding people, like cutting off your hair was supposed to like remove the toxins from your oh body or something. But like insult to injury, like her blonde hair was like the one thing. Mm. So on June 22nd, she rallied and those around her hoped she might make a full recovery, but Lucrezia, she knew the end was near. So she wrote a letter to Pope Leo X asking him to pray for her, and two days later, the seizure started again, and that night, just two months after her 39th birthday, she died. It was awful. So Alfonso d'Este had barely left Lucrezia's side during her illness and was inconsolable after her death. In a letter written shortly after, he described her as a sweet, dear companion and spoke of the tender love that was between us. In another, he said that he was left in the greatest imaginable anguish. What began as a political match had turned into a loving marriage, and he could not imagine life without her. So that is the crazy and um, kind of beautiful story of Lucrezia Borgia but and the Borgia family. What about all the family. poisonings? Yeah, she didn't really poison people. Yeah, there were all these... Um, these uh, rumors that she had this hollow ring that she would mm-hmm. use to like poison people, but she didn't poison people. The Borgias probably did. They probably poisoned people. Didn't left, they right, have and like center. a whole garden that they like cultivated all the poison plants from That's all over the, the world? Medicis. God damn That's it. the Medicis. They're the poisoners. You got to watch out for those Medicis. So we'll do the Medicis soon. <laughs> <laughs> so my quiz today is called Un Quiz Su Alcuni Italiani Molto Famosi. It's entirely in Italian. No, it's, a, it's called luck. a quiz on some very famous Italians. Question number one. This famous Italian designer was thrust into the spotlight after the murder of her brother. Now she's the chief creative officer of a multi-million dollar fashion house and the subject of a Gaga song. Who is she? Question number two. The three tenors were a popular operatic singing group of stars that consisted of, well, three tenors. Two of them were Spanish, but one, ah, he was the most famous one of all, and of course, was Italian. Can you name him? Question number three. Federico Fellini is one of the most influential and famous Italian directors of cinema. Films of his include La Dolce Vida, La Strada, and this film, which was ranked as the 10th greatest film by Sight and Sound magazine. What is this film? Its title refers to the number of films he had finished up to that point and has nothing to do with nine and a half weeks. Question number four. This gorgeous Italian actress and singer once reportedly said about her body, everything you see I owe to spaghetti. I really should eat more spaghetti then. Who is this Neapolitan beauty? Question number five. This oily Italian politician and media tycoon was convicted of tax fraud in 2013 after he served nine years as prime minister, the longest post-war term held in Italy. The tax fraud was just one in a long list of scandals and illegal dealings this guy has had. Who is this piccolo cazzo? That means little dick. Question number six. (laughs) 
Another famous blind Italian singer is known for his songwriting and a famous duet with Celine Dion, who once said of him, if God would have a singing voice, he must sound a lot like him. Elizabeth Taylor said, my mind, my soul were transported by his beauty, his voice, his inner being. God has kissed this man and I thank God for it. Who is this opera singer? Question number seven. This saint, one of the patrons of Italy, along with Catherine of Siena, is also best known as the patron saint of animals and who Pope Frank took his papal name from. Who is this saint? Question number eight. True or false, famous Italian-American Robert De Niro was actually born with an even more super-Italian last name and took De Niro as his stage name. Question number nine. This film producer is most famous for working almost exclusively on the James Bond film franchise, making her and her family a lot of money. Who is this producer who doesn't have anything to do with a hated brassica? And finally, question number 10. I'm going to name four actors, and you're going to tell me if they're fratelli or not Italian. One, Hulk Hogan. Two, Jason Schwartzman. Three, Henry Winkler. Or four, Nicole Polizzi, a.k.a. Snooky. We'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with your answers. A girl went back to Napoli because she missed the scenery The native dances and the charming songs But wait a minute, something's wrong Hey mambo, mambo italiano, hey mambo Mambo Italiano, go, go, go You mixed up Sigiliano All you Calabrese do the mambo like a crazy with a Hey Mambo, don't want a Tarantella Hey Mambo, no more the mozzarella Hey Mambo, Mambo Italiano Try an enchilada with the fish bacala And then a Hey Goomba I love how you dance a Goomba but take some of advice, Faisano Learn how to mambo If you're gonna be a square You ain't gonna go nowhere Hey, mambo Mambo Italiano Hey, mambo Mambo Italiano Go, go, Joe Shake like a Giovanni Hey, look, as a dit You get a happy in the feet So when you mambo Un quiz su alcuni italiani molto famosi. I'm uh, holding my fingers like I am... Pinching. Like I'm pinching the things. Pinching a little bit of basil for the marinara sauce. Or sugo. Anyway. Question number one. This famous Italian designer was thrust into the spotlight after the murder of her brother. Now she's the chief creative officer of a multi-million dollar fashion house and the subject of a Gaga song. Who is she? Donatella Versace. Donatella Versace. Her brother Johnny, who was murdered in 1997, was the one who persuaded her to dye her hair blonde at just 11 years old. Oof. So she dyed her, started dyeing her hair blonde at 11 and then never stopped. <laughs> Which has got to be tough it on the can't old roots. Be, it can't feel like hair anymore. Oh, no, not right? anymore. Nope. She's got a lot of money, but that's, that's haystack hair right there. I don't care who you are. Question number two. The three tenors were a popular operatic singing group of stars that consisted of, well, three tenors. Two of them were Spanish, but one, ah, he was the most famous one of all. And of course, was Italian. Can you name him? Placido Domingo? No, Placido Domingo was Spanish. Spanish. All right. The other guys, they are those tenors. (laughs) And... I don't remember any of the other tenors. Okay, it's uh, Luciano Pavarotti. Ah, Pavarotti. Yes. And the, the other, other guy. Yeah, and the other guy. So the other two were Placido, Placido Domingo and Jose Carreras. Ah, Carreras. Mm-hmm. So the two Spanish ones are Placido Domingo and Jose Carreras. So the trio began their collaboration with a performance at the ancient baths of Carasala in Rome. Uh, on July 7th, 1990, at the eve of the 1990 FIFA World Cup final, which was watched by a global television audience of around 800 million. 
So the recording of this debut concert became the best-selling classical album of all time and led to additional performances and live albums, as you can imagine. They performed to a global television audience at three further World Cup finals, 94 in Los Angeles, 98 in Paris, and 2002 in Yokohama. They also toured other cities around the world, usually performing in stadiums or similar large arenas to huge audiences. Can you imagine going to a stadium to listen to three three guys sing an opera? I, I mean, they sang so beautifully. People loved it. You know, they were entranced by their incredible voices. Can you see the people of Philadelphia <laughs> filling Can the I- link to watch three? I love them. They're so beautiful. It makes me cry. <laughs> I get a little teary when they when they sing to me. Um, <laughs> what a! Uh, they last performed together at an arena in Columbus, Ohio, of all places, in September of tw- two thousand three. I mean, did you someone know, die? No, I think it was just like one of their They're tours. Like, We're done. I think one of them died. <laughs> I think that may have been it. I, you know what? I'll look it up later. <laughs> Question number three, Federico Fellini is one of the most influential and famous Italian directors of cinema, which is Italian for cinema. Films of his include La Dolce Vita, La Strada, and this film, which was ranked as the 10th greatest film by Sight and Sound magazine. What is this film? Its title refers to the number of films he had finished up to that point and has nothing to do with nine and a half weeks. I don't think I have the slightest clue. So apparently, I have never seen this, but it's a very important movie in film history. It's called Mm -hmm. Eight and a Half. So it was made in 1963. So the title basically means this was his eighth and a half movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, since one of his films was a collaboration with Alberto Latuda. So, oh, sorry, Latuada. Uh, it's about a famous Italian film director who suffers from stifled creativity as he attempts to direct an epic science fiction film and it's shot in black and white, but it's, you know, it's a criterion yeah, I collection. I knew he was black. I knew he shot in black and white and mm-hmm. I knew the Dolce Vita. Yeah. Eight and a half is like the, like the art house classic apparently. Okay. Question number four. This gorgeous Italian actress and singer once reportedly said about her body, everything you see, I owe to spaghetti. I really should eat more spaghetti then. Who is this Neapolitan beauty? You have a poster. Yes. In my living room. And I think I'm just going to say Sophia Loren. You are correct. It is Sophia Loren. Uh, Turns out she didn't actually say that. (laughs) So she said to an interviewer in 2015, non è vero, which means it's not true. Uh, It's such a silly thing. Uh, She also had an affair with Cary Grant before she married Carlo Ponti in Mm. 1966, who she was married to until he died in like 2007. Like they had like three kids and had like a perfectly nice marriage. Although they met when she was 16 and he was 37. So (sighs) that's a... That could be in its own little Reddit. Yeah, Reddit thing. Yeah, absolutely. the same thing. Question number five. This oily Italian politician and media tycoon was convicted of tax fraud in 2013 after he served nine years as prime minister, the longest post-war term held in Italy. The tax fraud was just one in a long list of scandals and illegal dealings this guy has had. Who is this piccolo cazzo? Is this uh, Berlusconi? It is Silvio Berlusconi. His shady dealings could be an entire episode, but I will mention this. This is my favorite. On July 13th, 2011, according to a leaked telephone surveillance transcript, Berlusconi told his presumed blackmailer, Walter Lavetola, the only thing they can say about me is that I screw around. Now they're spying on me, controlling my phone calls. I don't give a fuck. In a few months, I'll be leaving this shit country that makes me sick. He was such an asshole. He is such an asshole, I should say. Okay. Question number six. Another famous blind Italian singer is known for his songwriting and a famous duet with Celine Dion, who once said of him, he's got a great voice, blah, blah, blah. Elizabeth Taylor was like, oh my God, God, kiss this man right on the lips. Who is this opera singer? 
Andrea Bocelli. Yes, Andrea Bocelli. He is polarizing, however. Apparently, while he is a competent singer with a unique sound, he is not considered a real opera singer because his voice isn't very strong hmm. and he doesn't have a lot of control. So the New York Times music critic Bernard Holland noted, quote, quote, the tone is rasping, thin, and in general, poorly supported. Even the most modest upward movement thins it even more, signaling what appears to be the onset of strangulation. I heard he's not even blind. (laughs) (laughs) To his credit, Mr. Bocelli sings mostly in tune, but his phrasing tends toward carelessness and rhythmic jumble. The diction is not clear. Furthermore, he observed that, quote, the critic's duty is to report that Mr. Bocelli is not a very good singer. Which is, like, scandalous. My Aunt Donna would, would be, be up in arms horrified. if she heard that. Here's the other thing that I learned about um, Andrea Bocelli. This is insane. He convinced the government of his hometown to create, build and create, the Teatro di Silenzio, the Theater of Silence. So he performs, it's an outdoor theater. Mm-hmm. He performs there once a year. And then every other 364 days, it remains empty and silent. So he built, he made them build an entire theater just for him to sing in it once a year. And then no one else is allowed to use it, which is like, what? You're crazy. (laughs) Anyway, love that. Question number seven. This saint, one of the patrons of Italy, along with Catherine of Siena, is also best known as the patron saint of animals and who Pope Frank took his papal name from. Who is the saint? Uh, that's St. Francis of Assisi. Yes, St. Francis of Assisi. He became a saint just two years after his death in 1228. It's very quick. Yeah, uh, by Pope Gregory IX, just as an FYI. Also, after Pope Frank was elected, the night he took a bus back to his hotel with the cardinals rather than be driven in the papal car. So Pope Frank is now the Pope, and he was like, it's fine. I'll take the <laughs> I'll bus. I'll take the bus. No, no big deal. Love Pope Frank. <laughs> Question number eight, true or false, famous Italian-American Robert De Niro was actually born with an even more super Italian last name and took De Niro as his stage name. I will say true. It is false. Uh, He was born Robert Anthony De Niro Jr. He's not even entirely Italian, which is like, what the hell? Anyway, his dad was an abstract expressionist artist born in Syracuse. And left when Robert was two because he realized he was gay. He's got his whole thing. But a very competent artist, I will say. Question number nine. This film producer is most famous for working almost exclusively on the James Bond film franchise, making her and her family a lot of money. Who is this producer who doesn't have anything to do with a hated brassica? Is this Barbara Broccoli? It is Barbara Broccoli. Her dad, whose name was Albert Albert Broccoli, Cubby Broccoli, that was his nickname. His (laughs) friends called him Cubby. He was also a film producer. He was super close friends with Howard Hughes, which is wild. Howard Hughes is all over the place. He's everywhere. He's like, he's like Alice Cooper in the early 20th century. When I was doing research on Watergate, there were all kinds of things which Howard Hughes paid a guy who did this thing that ended up with Nixon. So I... I had to leave all that out. Oh, sure. Yeah, because I would have just been talking forever. But yeah. Damn. Howard Hughes was the Alice Cooper of the mid 20th century. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's there's got to be some link between the two of them. And then and then it's all over. <laughs> Alice Cooper lives in Howard Hughes's house. Oh, my God. I knew it. We're going to be like you know that. What? That How come Alice Cooper with- hasn't called us yet? Yeah, I'm a little <laughs> upset, especially since he knows us and he can hear us. I'm surprised I haven't gotten a phone call from him yet. So you can hear me email. Come on. Yeah. Tweet at us, Alice. Yeah. At misinfopod, Alice. Jeez. Anyway. (laughs) Finally, question number 10. I'm going to name four actors and you're going to tell me if they're fratelli or not. You mean if they're Italian? If they're Italian or not. Or paisan. Paisan. Number one, Hulk Hogan. No. He is. His uh, given name is Terry Gino Bolia. Very Italian. Bolia is Italian? Yeah, Bolea. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, Jason Schwartzman. No. He is. His mom is Talia Shire. She was Connie in The Godfather. She's the sister who gets beat up by her husband. Is a terrible scene. Anyway, but he gets his. His mom. I didn't know that was his mom. I know. Isn't that interesting? I didn't know that either. Okay. <clears throat> number three, Henry Winkler. 
No. No, he's German Jewish. And finally, number four, Nicole Polizzi, a.k.a. Snooki. No. No, she's Chilean. She was adopted by Italian-Americans. So that is my quiz about some fratelli and my uh, paisano. And paisano. Paisano. Hey, hey, oh, hey, oh, hey. Um, so <laughs> thanks so much for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, we should definitely do a Medici episode at some point. Yeah. We'll figure be it out. Be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. Also, be on the lookout for our cheese episode. I know we got a lot. Like when we tossed off that idea of doing it, was a, eat along it at was home. like a random. Yeah, it was just saying like, oh, that's a good that idea. We recorded at some point in early June, and then whenever that episode came out that we mentioned it, we got like more. Oh my more gosh, notes more engagement. From people. Yeah, people are like, great episode. Whatever. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna. If you do a cheese episode, I will listen and I will eat along. cheese. Cheese along. She's along at home. Yeah. So we'll, we will we will do this to brighten however terrible the winters are. Yes. That's coming. So we will we'll probably let you know like the week before so that you can get that on the grocery yeah. list. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. You- we will give <laughs> you a list of cheeses. <laughs> they will be a nice mix of different kinds of cheese. Nothing too expensive. No. Um, even so, like your local green grocer will be able to give you, sell you like a tiny wedge of brie or something for like pennies on the dollar. But we'll figure it out. We'll figure out a way to do it. Well, meanwhile, we'll be doing a lot of research on that episode. <laughs> It'll so. be tough, but you know, yeah, I mean, we've got to do it. This is what we do for you guys. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, you guys. <laughs> yes, thank yeah. you. And and we'll listen to we will listen, listen to, to you. And you'll listen to us. <laughs> And we will listen to each other. Oh, man. It's all over for you. It's done. It's done for Jewel. I've been up for many hours and I had two glasses of wine. So it's over. It's over. All right. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.